And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. Revelation 6, 8. When Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, or rather, sorry, verse 9, and this is the Word of God. When you opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Father, Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer till the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who seated on the throne, And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us the very word of God. Uh, We ask your Spirit's help as we come to your truth, Father, to give us understanding, Lord, of how these verses apply here and now. And Father, as we come to the table, Lord, an understanding of what it is you've done for us. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On a spring day in 2020, Islamist insurgents in a Mozambique village gathered the villagers all together and asked them a single question. What is your religion? For those who answered Christian, they were immediately decapitated. For those that were the pastors, they and their families were tortured even worse. And all 70 villagers were killed that day. Such persecution brings cries to God. How long will this go on? So what's the answer God gives as Jesus opens seals 5 and 6? Let's go to the text and see. The fifth seal. When you open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they'd borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, till the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who are to be killed as they themselves have been. Now we saw last week that the first four seals were not, are not open sequentially over across a period of centuries, but rather they were open all at the same time. And they're all true for all time across the centuries. Likewise, this fifth seal uh, reveals a scene that's just as current today as it was in John's day. And when Jesus opens the seal, John looks under the altar and he sees, it says, the souls of those who have been killed. That is, martyred because of their faith. Now, we might be surprised to see an altar in heaven's throne room. Keep in mind, in the Old Testament, there were two altars in the temple. There was one that was used for sacrifice. There was a second one uh, that was used for offering incense inside the temple itself. 
And John, in his vision, sees the two as just one altar there in heaven's throne room. And we'll see in chapter 8, our prayers will come up from that altar like incense. You say, well, why are these martyrs' pictures being under the altar? Well, you go back to Exodus 29, Leviticus 4, and I think Leviticus 8, any blood that the Old Testament priests would not use in the course of their sacrifice would be poured out at the base of the altar underneath. And so here the symbolic imagery of souls under the altar points to the fact that Jesus' blood was quite sufficient for their death, uh, for their salvation. And so these believers who were killed have poured out their blood under the altar, as it were. It's an act of worship and devotion to God. And as John describes this, remember this is going to the seven churches, so we might miss something that they would hear. And what they would hear is this. These are their loved ones that have died for the faith, and they're still alive. And they're with Christ. Uh, They've been faithful to God. They were willing to die for Jesus. People like Antipas, who was mentioned back in chapter 2 in the letter to the church in Pergamum. God has been faithful to them. And like Jesus, their sufferings have advanced the work of the kingdom. The church father, Tertullian, said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And whenever the world sheds the blood of God's people, the number of God's people always increases. Wherever there are martyrs, there will be a growing church. And these martyrs are crying out, and their cries echo across, uh, echo the, the ancient cries of the people of God as they wait on God as they wait on God to act in time and space, history, for the glory of His name. So they cry out, how long? We have the same cry. Uh, Perhaps it comes from those who are really hurting. might be physical needs uh, for us or someone we love. We long for God to intervene, to take away the pain, to give us hope, and we cry, how long? Maybe it's conflict. Maybe it's financial stress. Maybe it's some sin we're battling. Maybe it's, it's the war in Ukraine or wars like that. And we say, how long? How long will we see and feel the pain that's brought about by Adam and Eve's fall into sin? How long will the impact of sin bring misery into our world? The martyrs specifically do not want anybody else to suffer as they have. They're asking God to work in time and space and to bring His people home. So what's God's answer? Well, a little longer. How long's that? Well, we don't know. But God says we must wait a little longer. See, God calls us to keep our eyes on eternal things. To keep our eyes fixed on the One who opens the seals. As Paul told the Colossians, set your minds on things above. And so whatever reason we cry out for today, remember that the the one opening the scroll is the one who's with us always. He's the one who gives us the peace that passes all human understanding. He's the one who's carrying out the perfect plan of God for ultimate justice and praise of of Jesus for things to be set right in a world that today is so full of wrong. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, He's our hope. And so His death is our true north. His resurrection affirms that He has the power to set all things right. God's justice will be brought fully to bear, and all evil will one day be terminated. God's enemies will not dishonor His name forever. Those who foolishly believe they can kill the truth about Christ and stop the progress of the gospel by killing the followers of Christ, they're all doomed. And note something. It should be obvious by this point. The church does not escape tribulation. Those looking to get out before the heat gets turned up, maybe we need to look at the course of human history as outlined here in Revelation 6 and throughout the Word of God, to see how God's people are treated. He says, God's people are called to endure, to persevere. And here, notice their cry is not, is not vengeful. Rather, their cry is because they're aligned with the will of God and God's plan for the universe. They want God to be glorified, and they want it now. So what are they called to do when God says, wait a little longer? Well, they're given white robes to wear. That points to two things. One is they've been made pure. They've been made righteous in God's sight. Go back to Zechariah 3 for that picture. And secondly, they're victorious. White was the, was the color of victory then. They fought the good fight. They kept the faith. It's simply a matter of learning that we have to rest in what Christ has done. What He is doing and what he will do for the sake of his name. And yes, the number of martyrs will grow, even as we worship this morning. Being in the center of God's will does not keep martyrdom from us. Uh, it may include people in this building today. And I say that knowing all my grandchildren are here today. But be assured, brothers and sisters, that while we weigh God's at work, and God's gathering people from every tribe and nation on the face of the earth. We're going to see that better next week. And so we come to the sixth seal that gives us our second cry this morning. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? All right, how many physical changes were named there in the universe? Take a guess. Well, come on. <laughs> there are how many days in a week? Seven. Seven. The complete number. Okay. That helps us see what John sees. The day's coming when the entire created order will face God's judgment. The little longer will end. And what John describes is consistent with what Jesus describes in uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, when he talks first of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. 
and then of his own second coming. And while earthquakes were prominent in the first century in Asia Minor, and have been commonplace across the globe and across the centuries, this is a great earthquake, and it talks about it impacting the sun and the moon. The sun's darkened. The moon turns red like blood. The atmosphere which makes the sky look blue is, is rolled up like a scroll. Even the mountains, a symbol of, of stability and strength and beauty. Like the islands, they're moved from their places. This is the long-awaited shakening of the old creation in preparation for the new creation. And no, John's not trying to give us a literal description of what's going to take place. Um, he stretches our minds so we'll see the, the terror and the dread that's about to come. So why do, you, why, do you, why do you think that? Well, he describes the stars falling to earth like figs. But how big are the stars? Uh, check out those photos from the Webb telescope that declare the glory of God. The sun itself is 109 times the size of the earth. You can put 1,300,000 earths in the sun. See, John's point is that the day of judgment is an extraordinary event and everything is going to be affected. And with this judgment is the second coming of Christ. And this is the first of, yes, seven descriptions of the second coming that we have in Revelation. So it's a wake-up call. It's a judgment, a judgment's coming that no one will escape. So how do people respond? All right, let me get to this one. Did you count how many groups of people are mentioned? How many? Seven, that's right. That's the completeness of the judgment. People would rather flee and hide from God like Adam and Eve than repent of their sins and embrace Jesus as Savior. And you're going to notice earthly status does not matter. Look at the list. The kings of the earth, those who, who think they're in charge, the great ones, those who think they really are the center of the universe and worthy of your attention. The generals, they think they rule by military might. The rich, they think they make it because they're wealthy. The powerful, those who are self-reliant, who have no need of God. The slave, those who have been mistreated. And perhaps they're angry with God and with others. The free, they've earned their way out of slavery. They've made it, they've made it on their own. Yet a, all of them, apart from Christ, face the wrath of God and, yes, the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus' wrath. Romans 2, John 5, confirm He's the judge. So this seemingly meek Lamb of God carries out the wrath of God. And it's so fearsome and awesome uh, a wrath that unbelievers will cry out for the mountains to fall on top of them. So the cry is, who can stand? See, the question no longer is, how do I survive the troubles of this world? Not an issue. But will I survive the judgment of the Lamb? God's just anger against sin and, and evil, which we've seen since the book of Genesis. Friends, it's the final word for the unbelieving world. It's the last they hear. At the same time, the life-giving death of the Lamb for God's people brings about our salvation. And God's people alone are saved. 
So what about us? You need, we need to remember, Revelation's written to Christians who are struggling. Their lives are hard. Maybe they're outcast. Maybe they're being persecuted. They're struggling to persevere, to endure, to be faithful, to live for the glory of Christ instead of living for themselves. So John gives them strength for today and hope for tomorrow by showing them both the the current state of martyrs and how the story ultimately ends. John keeps the end in view, but he never loses sight of the present. And he shows that present endurance will be vindicated at the end. I think Phil Newton's right. In our response to this text, we've got to ask the question, Am I willing to be a martyr? Am I willing to lay down my life for the gospel? And you know, if today I'm not living for the glory of Christ, then I may not be so willing to die for that gospel. If I don't have time for Jesus, if I'm too busy to worship, I'm not willing to spend time studying His Word, or if I can't find time to pray, if I don't have an interest in sharing my faith, if godliness and whole living sound, well, that sounds legalistic and oppressive to me. Do I really think I'll be faithful and willing to die for Jesus? Friends, we will not die for Jesus if we will not live for him. These martyrs under the altar, they're all ordinary people like us. If you look carefully, you would see James there and Stephen from the book of Acts, and you'd see Antipas and uh, Perpetua from history. And we'd see Jim Elliot and Nate Saint. And we'd see those 70 citizens from that village in Mozambique. And we'd see many more. It means we need to be willing to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. No matter where that leads. Even if it means death as we wait just a little longer for Jesus' return. As for the question, who can stand? Friends, only those who repent of their sin and believe that Jesus died for us. I believe the Lamb was sacrificed for us so that we don't stand on our own merit in front of God, but we stand on the merit of Jesus Christ, His sacrificial death. We believe that Jesus paid it all and we pay nothing. And that it's all to Him that we owe. And so we come to maintain our hope in Christ alone. Hopefully the Lord's Supper drives that point home to us today. That's why Jesus, the Lamb, Invites all who are believers in the Lord Jesus, who are members of Gethsemane of an evangelical church, to, to come to this table. And if you're not yet a believer, friend, we're, we're glad you're here so that you can see the future and turn to Jesus. But, but Jesus himself requests you not participate. But examine your heart, repent, and ask Jesus to give you eternal life. Likewise, children and youth have not yet been examined by the session. You should not participate, but if you have the desire to, please Come today at 5 o'clock to my class. Believers, we're called to examine ourselves to see if we recognize the body of Christ. To recognize what Christ did for us at the cross. When we realize that we should uh, hate our sin, we should desire to turn from it. Uh, And thus today come and, and feed on His body and blood for the strength we need to take up our cross and follow Him. But if we do not take our sins seriously, if we have no desire to live for Him, if we do not want to turn from our sin, take up our cross and follow Him, 
then let the elements pass. And spend time examining his love as laid out in Isaiah 53. So let's each now take a moment and quietly confess our sins before a holy God. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We've sinned greatly. And we ask your forgiveness and we claim your promise that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, remind us of that today. Remind us at the cross, our sins are forgiven because the wrath of God has been poured out on our sin already. And Jesus took that wrath for us as he shed his blood and his body was broken for us. And we thank you for that assurance this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.